Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. podcast with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from Hunkameenam Territory with a podcast series about indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit, because that's what health means. Hello, this is Teachings in the Air with Sahilthit, a.k.a. Jerry Oldman. Today's podcast is called Run, Sahilthit, Run. And of course, my intention is to inspire others to move, to break free of negative memories. You know, those ones that keep popping up, even though you don't want them to, because of um, negative situations that happened. For instance, my negative situations, all of them, when I was young, happened in the education system, at uh, day school and residential school. As I was preparing for this podcast, I looked up the word run, and it means Run, the word run means to move faster than a walk. The, I learned that by moving faster than a walk consistently, having a, a running program, let's call it that, I would forget about what I was depressed about from my past when I was out running. I didn't know, you know, at that time when I was in the, in the dumps having the blues, that what I actually wanted was to take charge of my life, to manage my life. That's what, to have freedom. I believe that's an inherent wish for all human beings. Because of my past, the events that happened in my past to me by other human beings. When I left the residential school and I entered the world of adults, I started deteriorating. My health deteriorated, which means my mind, my body, and my spirit were weakening. So I developed bad habits the bad habit of avoiding any and all tense, stressful situations between me and other human beings, or at times just a simple memory or a nightmare that I'd have when I was sleeping. So this podcast is about me running away, even though... There was times I was running away and I was keeping still. 
someone would get angry at me or say something to me, criticize me, you know. And I, and I would be running even though I'm still in the room. So this is about me running away. And about the most important part is about my transformation and how I started running to healing and freedom. I started to actively pursue ways to strengthen my mind, my body, and my spirit. I'd learned now and I know now that movement is medicine. It's a medicine when you move. Your arms, your legs, your lungs fill up with oxygen, you know, and you're you start to sweat from moving and you start to feel fluid and you got full range of motion with your legs, your arms, your back and your breathing is deep and controlled. You know, that's the lotion. You know, because if we put lotion on a sore part of our body, for instance, if you have arthritis, you get a lotion, you put it there, and it starts to feel better. And you can move. So, you know, I've learned that I must keep moving, otherwise my body will tighten up. You know, my bones are aging, you know, and I want to be mobile as long as I can. So motion is medicine. Movement is medicine. Motion is lotion. Because when I was not doing that, I felt like a phony. And I'd have this feeling of being worthless, which left me mostly depressed and lonely. So this podcast is about Sahilthit, running to healing and wellness. When I look back and I think of my introduction to running, you know, it came from my father and my uncles. You know, and I, as I was thinking of this, and I was thinking, oh, my, you know, my father, my uncles, my grandfather, my great-grandfather were truly hunter-gatherer people. You know, they... They would go hunting deer, catching salmon, you know, picking berries and roots, and they were moving about consistently. So they would tell me about their training, the training methods, how they were trained as children and youth. You know, and how strong they were. I'd hear stories about men, one man carrying a deer out of the forest on his shoulders, about men carrying 15, 20 salmon up from the Fraser River. <laughs> I would struggle carrying five, ten. But they talked about it like it was a piece of cake. So I was, you know, the part that surprised me. It seemed to be the core of all training for every activity was running. 
They would tell me, you know, when you run, get up early in the morning and run. Just at daybreak, be out there running. And, um, you know, go bathe in the lake or the river. You know, and that seemed to be... You know, I don't know if I could say core part of the training, but I know it was an important part. Because other parts were sweat lodge, uh, you know, at times uh, lifting things, lifting weights, or, you know, so I, I heard these stories. My uncle was telling me about my great-grandfather, Patrick Old Band. Now he's telling me the story that my great-grandfather was, he had horses. You know, we became a horse culture and they became good at it. My great-great-grandfather was a horse whisperer. They told me that he could touch his horse and it lay down and he could shoot off the back of that horse. And he, he could gesture to the horse that's behind him and the horse would catch up to him. <laughs> I'd hear these stories. And he told me that my great-grandfather went out to to catch one horse and he was so he got on horseback and was chasing this horse and the horse he was riding could not run fast enough so he jumped off and caught that horse by foot of course i doubted my uncle you know but i when i think about it i say yeah that could be true because they trained our men to run deer down by foot I heard those stories, too. Another story he told me about my great-grandfather. He says when he went hunting grouse, he wouldn't have a rifle or even a stick. I learned that you can get a stick foot long and throw it, and it twirls, and it can hit the grouse. But he says my great-grandfather would go where the grouse are. My great-grandfather, of course, wore moccasins all his life but he would walk to where the grouse are because they knew the habits of all animals because they're hunter-gatherers. But he'd move, he'd go there and he's so alert, so aware that he'd walk through where they are and when one took off and to fly away, he'd leap and he'd catch it by the feet and, and catch his supper. I go, whoa. I remember hunting grouse with a rifle. And I'd walk, you know, and they'd go, and they'd fly off, and it'd sort of get me a little panicky or startle me. Shows you the difference between my great-grandfather and me. He was hunter-gatherer. So... So at gatherings, I would hear hunting stories that demonstrated the strength and endurance and the speed of my ancestors. So I absorbed that teaching into my mind. I didn't practice it right away, but that importance of running. And I eventually come to love moving faster than a walk. You know, as I was growing up too, I became an 
avid reader, and one of the books I was reading was about the Apache people down in the United States. And I read this story about how they were training their young men in the desert. So when they get their young men, they would set a course for them, and it's 50 miles. And they would have the young men line up and they would give them water to drink. And then they would give them one more drink and they'd say, hold that in your mouth. Don't swallow it or spit it out. You're going to run the circuit and when you come back, you're going to spit that water out at my feet. If you accidentally swallow it or spit it out, you have to come back and get another mouthful so it's going to add to your distance. And I read that, I said, whoa, those are strong people. You know, <laughs> you know it's, uh, it's because of these stories that running became part of my life. And eventually became a ceremony that helped me to survive from my past traumas from the residential school and day school. With each running goal that I accomplished, I started to know who I was and started to feel joy at another level. You know, it felt so good to break into a sweat in my breathing, I'm breathing through my nose. And it's just like I'm walking, even though I'm running uphill, downhill. It just felt so good. Each step, I became stronger. And I started to become who I am today. Not the victim of my past negative experiences. My trauma memories are no longer victim memories. They are teaching memories. As long as I was a victim, I was angry, I was afraid, I was depressed. From day to day, year to year, till I ran to the healing journey. All those negative emotions I was feeling towards my abusers and the government of Canada and the churches. You know, it did not impact them. They didn't even know I was angry and depressed. Did not bring any change because it was all happening inside of me. Because I wasn't talking about it. Nobody knows why I was depressed. Why I was afraid to make mistakes. What it was doing was making me an unhappy camper. You know, an an unhealthy human being. That's what it was. So how, how did this whole business start of me running away. Well, it was at the residential school that I started to use running as a temporary distraction 
from the reality of the confinement and the control and the abuse of residential school life. We were allowed on weekend to, to leave the residential school grounds not to go to town or to any houses, but across the road from a residential school, there was two mountains, Mount Peter and Mount Paul, and that we can go out running there. I, I hadn't started running yet, and I was sitting out by the soccer field on a Sunday. And one of my friends comes up and says, Hey, Jerry, how about we race? I looked at him. <laughs> I'm insecure already, you know. And, um, <laughs> it's a race. And he says, yeah, you see, we'll race at the top of that mountain. Points at Mount Peter. He says, there's a trail goes all the way up to the top. And I look at him and he says, what we'll do is we'll take turns. He says, we'll time each other. We'll not run together. <laughs> and that was a saving grace because I didn't want to race him side by side. He was one of our athletes, really wonderful soccer player, basketball, any sport he took seemed to be good at it and natural. So when he said, we'll take turns, I said, yeah, okay. So he said, okay, I'll go first. And he ran you have to leave the residential school grounds and go across the road. I don't know the distance, but I know it was a while to run from the road to the base of the mountain. Then to run up or to go up the mountain trail is steep. So he done it. And he comes back. Your turn. I say, okay. So it was my first long-distance run. And I started running. And that's where I learned about this positive distraction. Because the trailway, there's rocks and sagebrush. You have to be watch where you're stepping. And plus, I was in a competition. So I started to move as fast as I could along this trail. I got to the base of the mountain. I started going up the trail. You know, and I could feel my breathing. Breathing hard because I'm pushing myself. And I get to the top and I turn around and I look over. See the residential school. See the Thompson River. See the bridge, car bridge, and across. See the buildings. And I start running down. And I get back and I said to my friend, did you see me? He says, yeah, when I saw you at the top, you turned around, you had this big smile on your face. You know, Of course, he couldn't see that. But it was such a wonderful feeling. I had escaped. One of the supervisors, one of the good ones, noticed the amount of running that I was doing and others. 
and ask a couple of us to run in a, I believe it was a marathon in town. And he said, I'll enter you guys. So we agreed. And, uh, he says, um, every night now you guys are going to soak your feet in salt water. He says, to prevent blisters. We rub Vaseline in our bodies. This is to stop the chafing because you'll be moving, you know, for three or four hours. You know, I have very little memory of that event. Why, I have no idea. You know, I remember at one point, me and one of the others, we stopped and we were breathing. And I remember saying, yeah, we can do this. We carried on and we done it. But I have no memory crossing the finish line or talking to anyone. It's just like, it's gone. When I left a residential school, you know, I, I was free of the residential school, but not of the memories. So I carried on running, living with my parents. So I'd wake up at five o'clock in the morning and go for a run. And I had this circuit that was 14 miles, it was seven miles one way and seven miles back. And that was medicine. I can remember the sound of the birds waking up. It's like a choir of birds singing. The smell of the plants and the pine trees and the fir trees and the sound of my feet hitting the ground. It was at, uh, you know, at some point in there I started to carry water in my mouth. And I carry that water in my mouth for that 14 miles spit it out and I get back. My uncle lived next door and would notice me I was out running. He says, that's good, he says. Now I'm going to encourage you to get two rocks the size of your, that could fit into your hands and carry them when you're running and squeeze them. He says it'll strengthen your forearms, strengthen your grip. Looking back, I see that it was running that kept me reasonably stable. I could keep a job and feed the family and pay the bills. But I was still running away. the wounding of my mind and body, the memories of fear and shame. 
were gradually deteriorating good feelings about myself. I remember my father asking me if I was going to go to college after the residential school. I said, no, Dad, I've had enough of that system. He said, okay, you're going to leave now and go for look for work, which was a good thing he'd done to make my own living. But in regards to the education, sometimes I feel regret that I did not. One of my uncles kept encouraging me. He says, I want you to go to, when you finish high school, to keep going. He says, we need lawyers, we need educated people. My grandfather's group, great-grandfather, went through that period of outlawed potlatches. You know, the threat of going to jail for not sending your kids to residential school or even being in the presence of alcohol. They grew up in that. They grew up with the words that you cannot hire a lawyer. It's against the law for you to talk about the land question. That's what they called it, the land question, land claims. When my dad was telling me that I was to go out and look for work, my brother, who had graduated residential school before me, had followed my uncle to Alaska to be a logger. And he was going to go, and he says, oh, I'll take Jerry. So I, I ended up going to SeaTac Airport with him, and we flew off to Sitka, Alaska. Before we left home, my dad was telling me, son, when you get out there and work, when the white guys are walking, you're running. You work hard. You don't listen to people that will make fun of you because you work hard. They'll say things to you that, you, you know, you're sucking up to the boss and things like that. He says, you don't listen to them. You just work hard. If you become a hard worker, you'll always have a job. So I done that. When I got to Alaska, when we were working, I would run to do the work. The rest would be walking. I remember that first day of work, it's lifting and pulling and carrying. You know, I, my muscles were cramping. after 10 hours of work. So I started to run after dinner to keep fit, to be fast. I wanted to be an effective and efficient worker and not to lose my job because I was an Indian. 
I was fast and consistent, and it was noticed by the company boss at the end of the work season. He gave me a bonus and told me he wants me to come back next season because we shut down for the winter. Too much snow in Alaska. He said that they would send me a, a plane ticket in the springtime for me to come back. Sure enough, I went back again. I continued to go back to be a logger in Alaska until I fell, you know, quite far off the ground, I don't know, 20, 25 feet, and landed in my back and chipped a fifth lumbar in my back. And it was a depressing part of my life because my back would go out. seems I just stooped down on the ground to pick up something, no matter how heavy my back would go out. It'd be painful. So I no longer a logger, so I went to be an apprentice painter, decorator. And uh, this is in Vancouver. So that's where I uh, ended up. living by myself in a cheap hotel called the Midtown Hotel on Pender Street in Vancouver. It's $50 a week, shows you the quality of the hotel. Didn't have my own bathroom or shower, just a bed. And that's where I lived. So I wasn't running at the time. It just so happens that my uh, brother, my oldest brother, who I worshipped, came back to town. He was working in Tassus. He was a diesel engineer, you know. <laughs> I was uh, running to catch my bus, and it was raining one morning to go to work. And I hear, Jerry! And I look, and it's my brother, Bill. I say, oh. He says, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm working here. I'm a painter and decorator. I says, what are you doing here? He says, oh, I'm moving to Vancouver. I'm, I got a job, and I think it was in Burnaby or Surrey. He says, where are you staying? And I sort of mumbled the Midtown Hotel, you know. <laughs> And he told me, where are you staying? It is a nice hotel. He says, come there and we'll have supper tonight. I says, oh, okay. So I went that night. And we're having supper. He says, yeah, I'm looking for a place to stay here. He says, you want to stay with me? I said, uh, Bill, I don't have uh, anything. I just got a small suitcase with my clothes in it. He says, I didn't ask you what you have. I asked if you want to live with me. 
I said, yes, of course. So two weeks later, he told me, I have a place. He says, you come Friday night. He gave me the address. And I, so I went there with my bag, work clothes, one pair of dress clothes, what I call dress clothes. He lets me in and he shows me this room. He says, this is your bedroom. And um, there was a bed in there, a dresser, bedside table with a lamp. That's for me, he says, yes. He says, okay, come, we'll have supper. So he cooked supper. After we ate, we're having tea. And he says, okay, here's how it is. You pay rent. You know, you pay rent. We'll figure it out. But you pay rent. I'm the cook. You know, supper I'll cook. He says, you wash the floors. Sweep and wash the floors. I said, okay. I was glad. I'm thinking back. It's the first time I had my very own bedroom my own dresser. This is so good, that's like I was in heaven. And, uh, you know, so I work. I started drinking, and doing drugs at the same time. And I was going to work one day and I seen this sign that there was going to be a marathon. So I went and told my brother, I said, hey, Bill, I'm going to run in that marathon. He said, oh, okay. He didn't seem to be surprised or anything, you know. and Didn't seem to mean much to him. I said, yeah. So I went out and I bought myself, I remember, Adidas running shoes and Adidas sweatsuit, three stripes. And I started running Queen Elizabeth Park. Vancouver, my circuit. And I, uh, the day of the marathon, I remember going there. I don't remember the start. What I remember is that I come to, someone says there's five miles to go. And I was feeling it. <laughs> and there's people by the side of the road. And I look, and there's this man comes running out with a sweatsuit on. And it's my brother, Bill. He says, oh, I'll run the last five with you, Jerry. And he starts running beside me. And I started weeping like a baby. I don't remember that finish either. Or what we done after. It's funny how that mind works. And then after that, you know, I worked for another year in Vancouver and I started to get afraid of um, my drug use and I told my brother, I said, I'm going to leave. Uh, so I asked and he told, I told him why. 
Yeah, he says, a good idea. So I left and I went back to the res, continued to drink and got labor jobs. And, but that's where I started to go back to my ways, my healing journey. Because I could sweat lodge. I started to work in addictions and I defeated alcohol. You know, and I started to work and people would say I became a workaholic, so I wasn't doing that much running. I would periodically run. You know, I'd run and but not consistently. Yeah. You know, but I started eventually because I was still running away as I had not dealt with the first cause of what was deteriorating my mind, my body, and my spirit. Which, of course, was what happened to me to residential school. My running away was now work. I'd do it consistently. I'd run away from uncomfortable things. But my physical running, moving faster and walk, became very inconsistent. Now in my life, one day I, you know, because of a loss, I went into a depression. And I uh, stopped moving. We just sit, literally not move, just sit in my bedroom. And my daughter kept bugging me about going to karate. She signed up for karate. And one night she says, Dad, it's family night at karate. If you don't come, I'll be all by myself. I'll be the only one without family, you know. <laughs> So I listened, I said, yeah, okay. In my mind, I'll say I'll go once and uh, just to keep her quiet. Put on your sweats, Dad, let's go. So I did. And I went and, um, holy, Sensei lines us up. He's going to show us how to walk. First off, how to stand in the stance. How to hold our arms. How to breathe. So that whole first session was just walking, karate style. He says, I want to hear you breathe. He says, when you hear me go, you know, when you hear me counting, I want you to, to breathe. I want to hear you breathing by hearing you go, psst. So I feel like a cat going, psst, you know, itch, psst, knee, psst. You know, so we're breathing like a sneeze, watching us. Glaring eyes, look straight ahead. 
but be aware of what's around you. They come and test our stance and we're walking and he's counting. We're doing that. We have, of course, a warm-up and then a cool-down and stretching is part of it. But I, it, it felt so good. I was, it's the first time I broke my depression line. You know, and it just felt so good. I, I kept going back, and that was the beginning of my moving faster in a walk, you know, because I started running again. You know, and um, felt good. But I, you know, and I was running, and after that, I wasn't, like, I wouldn't say I'm going for a 10K run or 20K or anything. I just run. It wasn't until, I think, 1995 that I started running measured distance. I signed up for a 10K at the Pacific Spirit working for a BCIT, and we had a corporate team. So they said, hey, you want to run our team? I said, yeah, I can do that. I was still smoking cigarettes and started drinking Starbucks. And I remember my wife driving me to UBC. I said, stop there on 41st and I forget to cross street. I said, there's a Starbucks there, and I get a grande Starbucks coffee, had a cigarette on the way to the run. <laughs> and I think back how silly that was. So I got there and I, oh, they gave us nice T-shirts with uh, Susan Point art on the front. So I ran. And I done it. But I could feel my lungs... Uh, by the time I finished, my muscles. That moment when I finished, I said, okay, I'm going to start running. And I'm going to quit smoking. And I did. And I was running, and I was on my healing journey. I was doing sweat ceremonies. I was addressing my residential school issues. So it starts out with a 10K run. Then I see signs advertising about a half marathon. So I say to myself, yeah, I'll do one of those. So I signed up for the Scotia Bank from UBC to Stanley Park. Oh, yes, it was a wonderful sunny day. I remember going with these people. And I could feel the distance on this one. But I could run the whole thing. I didn't stop. I remember going across the finish line. How good I felt that I had covered that distance without stopping. And I seen my wife and my friend. I said, I'm going to do a marathon. So I moved to Marathon. And I made that decision. I 
bought, I think, three books about marathon running. Of course, they talk about training schedules, so I started a schedule for myself. And, uh, you know, I chose a program which consisted of me running six days a week. You know, that Sunday was going to be my long run. So I take Monday off. So I'd wake up at 5 a.m. Go for my runs along Marine Drive in Vancouver. I started training and I picked a marathon. It's the Victoria Marathon. So that's my how I got into this running. In there, there's that magical moment of not running away anymore from my problems. I'm running to healing. I'm celebrating life. I'm celebrating motion. I got out of that depression. The final story I'd like to tell about my running. As I... As I was running, doing these runs, 10K runs, half marathons, marathons, uh, I finished a marathon and I noticed there was a, a booth there that had diabetes, Canada. So I went up to them and I said, um, what, what, what are you here for? Are you looking for donations? Because my grandson had diabetes. He says, oh, yeah, yes, we do. But also, you know, we're, we're recruiting people to fundraise for Diabetes Canada. And he said, um, if you raise enough money, we'll send you to a marathon. In Athens, South America, Spain, you know, they had different places. So I looked at it and I took a forum and I said, uh, yeah, I'd like to do one fundraise for Barcelona, Spain, because allegedly I have Spanish blood in me. So I took the forum and I got a hold of them and they said, yes, you have to raise $5,000. And once you do that, we'll buy your plane ticket, your hotel, and your meals, and your entry into a marathon. Barcelona, Spain. So I started fundraising. <laughs> and I got to, I made the mark. Raised over 5,000. And uh, it was Monday, Sunday, or the weekend before I used to leave on a Friday. I caught the flu. Saturday, Sunday, I'm in bed drinking juice, gals of juice and ginger ale, <laughs> trying to sweat it out of me. I phoned him up on Monday and said, I want to change my venue. I'm in bed with the flu. And he said, sorry, Jerry, we can't do that. We can't get the money back from the ticket we bought or the hotel or your entry into the marathon. I said, okay, I'll still go then. I told my wife, I'll, even if I'm just a tourist, I'll go. 
look at Spain. So on a Tuesday, I went to do a sweat. Sweat just flew out of me. Wednesday, two sweats in a row. Slept all day Thursday, all, you know. Friday, I took off for Spain. I got there and Saturday, we're Friday evening, we're having a meet and greet with Team Canada. And I met this man and he, he says, how are you doing? I said, I don't know. He said, I said, because we're picking up our T-shirts and our number and stuff. And I said, I've had the flu. He looks, me too. He says, I've been over-medicating. I'm taking Tylenol, taking everything. I said, me too. He says, well, let's go on the friendship run on Saturday morning. It's a 5K run, and we'll see how we're doing. I said, yeah, that's a good idea. Got a nice blue T-shirt. Barcelona on there. We went there, and we ran the 5K. Oh, it was beautiful. Lots of people all over, from all over. Finished, and we said, yeah, okay, let's let's do that. I'm going to run. I said, I'm going to walk, run, though. He said, I'm going to run for 10 minutes and walk a minute. That's how I'm going to do it. He said, yeah, okay, he says. So Sunday morning comes, and we get to the start. And I got my Team Canada T-shirt on. My number, and we take off. Got my running watch, so I run 10 minutes, walk a minute. Not worried about time or anything. Just going to make it. Gee, all kinds of people are Africans, you know, big, tall. I don't know if they're Zulu or whatever, running with regalia on, you know. I passed this man is running and didn't have legs. He's using crutches. And I went, whoa. So I'm running. My new friend and I got separated because I'm walk-run and he just wanted to run. So I go along. And the books I read about marathon running one of them said that you're going to hit the wall at some point when you're running a marathon. You all of a sudden feel you got nothing left. All of a sudden you got no energy. I think it's three miles to go. I hit the wall, Barcelona. Oh no, I can't finish this. And I stopped and I put my hands in my knees and it's hanging my head. And I hear this sound in front of me and it's. There's about, I don't know, six, seven children, maybe five, six years old, standing on the sidewalk. And I could, I stopped and I listened. They're going, bravo, Canada, bravo. And they're jumping up and down because I had my Team Canada, the big maple leaf on it. So I look up and I start. I'm not gonna, I was moving faster than a walk, <laughs> but not that much faster. 
And I started moving towards them, and they lined up and put their palms in the air. I go by hitting these little hands with my right hand. By the time I get to the last child, and they're saying, Bravo, Canada, I'm weeping. And I leave them, and they energized me. And I finished. I remember crossing that finish line. The wonderful feelings I had of accomplishment. And also doing something for diabetes. You know, there's so many stories I can tell in my memorable runs. You know, that I started to have these wonderful feelings about life. My love for running came from the stories of my people. I, with each running goal that I accomplished, I started to know who I was, who Sahilth it is. I started to feel joy on another level, joys of accomplishment, of feeling stronger, of having endurance. I was no longer the victim of my past negative experiences. My trauma memories are now no longer victim memories. They are teaching memories. As long as I was a victim, I was angry, afraid, and depressed from day to day, year to year. All of those negative emotions I was feeling towards my abusers, the government of Canada, and the churches did not impact them or bring any change. What it was doing was making me an unhappy camper, an unhealthy human being. The running helped me to free myself. The side benefits were my body was stronger and I had endurance. My mind no longer was running the old films of residential school and the mistakes I had made and my path to healing and wellness. My spirit was at a place of where I lived in a moment, and as a result, I saw, heard, felt, smelt the beauty in the world. The running helped me to free myself. My mind was no longer running the old films of residential schools and the mistakes I had made. My spirit was at a place where I lived in the moment, and as a result, I saw and heard and felt the beauty of the world and also of the people. I've met so many wonderful people running. It's all about fundraising for good causes, these 10K half marathon, marathon runs. So i just like to encourage you to find a way to move. If you are stuck in some unpleasant memories or depressed about your life, 
Just going for a walk for 20 minutes will help you. It does not require running 10K, half marathon or marathon. Just moving will help you. It'll affect your breathing. Your muscles will get more, they'll start to stretch and be more subtle, supple, you know, they'll be, you'll feel better. So that's my run to heels that run story. When I was on my healing journey, I joined this group of people that were in a healing journey too. And we were going to travel to this other community to support others on their healing journey. And I was out early in the morning and running and we were going to travel that morning. And I was heading back to where I was staying and my friend stuck her head out the window and said, run, Sahil said, run. And I started running. <laughs> so we all have support. We can all do this. So I just want to thank you for listening to this podcast. And, you know, take the good out of it for yourself and share it with the people. Thank you. <laughs>